Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 92 with Mike Lang. My favorite things to grill, there's a, I forget where I read it, discussing different types of food photographers. And one of the descriptions was the National Geographic food photographer. And I was like, that's me. You know, like the NG photographer trying to capture the the lion on the Serengeti and crawling through the weeds. You know, that's me grabbing the camera, grabbing the tripod and hitting the grill when, you know, the steak goes down and the fat hits the coals and you get all that sizzle up and flame. That's what I love to capture. It's great to capture plated food too, but it's not as alive as something on the grill. And I just love those living shots where things are happening and food's cooking and you're there to capture it. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I myself fall into the personal chef category as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 10 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant. This week, I have Mike Lang. Mike is not a chef, but he started a food blog called Another Pint, Please. And while the name sounds like it would be focused on beer, it's actually primarily focused on grilling. An amateur photographer, Mike started shooting the food he was cooking on his Weber grill. His photos caught the attention of Weber's marketing team, and this eventually led to Mike doing photography for Weber. Besides their website and social media, his photos have been published in Smithsonian, BuzzFeed, and even in Sports Illustrated. Mike just released his first cookbook last week titled One Beer Grilling. You can purchase it through his website, and the link is in the show notes. On the show, we discuss why he started the blog and how he connected with Weber. We talk grilling and beer, and he gives us some of his favorite resources. A reminder that you can help support our podcast and the Chefs Without Restaurants Network by donating through our Patreon. I know this probably sounds like a Feed the Children campaign, but for as little as 17 cents a day, you can help keep the thing running. Monthly support starts at just $5 a month. Go to patreon.com forward slash chefswithoutrestaurants to find exclusive recipes and see our tiered rewards. Again, the link is in the show notes. And thank you once again to this week's sponsor, Olive and Basket. With more than 30 each oils and vinegars, Olive and Basket is my go-to for specialty food items. They also have seasoning blends, sauces, jams, pasta, honeys, chocolate, gift baskets, and so much more. Just the other day, I picked up a bottle of their champagne vinegar and some gourmet popcorn for the kids. Sharon and Cindy do a great job curating a wide selection of items that are loved by both professional chefs and home cooks. Located in Frederick, Maryland, their shop is at 5231 Buckystown Pike, but you can also order all their products online and have them shipped directly to your house. Go to oliveandbasket.com. And now, on with the show. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Hey, Mike. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. I'm really excited to talk to you. I love uh, grilling, and uh, I'm kind of my I'm kind of a photo nerd myself. So, looking forward to talking to you and finding out a little bit about food photography. We will definitely have a lot in common then. 
So why don't we just jump right into it? I like to kind of start with a little bit about your backstory. So you're not a chef, like a professional chef, um, but you did or do have a food blog now focusing on grilling and you do the photography for Weber. So I guess, how did that start? Why a food blog and kind of bring me up to speed? How do we get to where we are now? Well, it's kind of crazy. I started my blog. It's been, I keep losing track of time, but probably 15 years ago. And at the time, that's when blogs were kind of coming into their own, you know, mid 2000s. And I had a love of photography and I liked to write. And originally it was a travel blog. So I did a lot of traveling and talked about stuff. And then one night, a friend of mine had uh, posted a picture on his blog and it said, what's on the grill? And it was basically a picture of his dinner. I'm like, you know, uh, I love to grill and I love photography. And now perhaps I can put these two things together and make something out of it. Uh, And that's literally how it started. Uh, You know, never trained as a chef, solidly a home cook. I love to grill. You know, food's been a part of my life in terms of preparation and creating forever, it seems. And uh, this, the blog started off and running as a total incomplete side hustle. And it's called Another Pint Please. Is that right? Yes. Poor branding for anything about grilled food and food photography. Uh, It was about a trip to England I took. And uh, that was one of the top titles of things I'd be uttering the most while overseas would be Another Pint Please. Uh, And it's just kind of stuck. So in a way, it doesn't really reflect what I do. But in a way, there's no doubt about who it is. And that's me. Did you ever think about changing that or rebranding? Or do you hit that point where like the ship has sailed and you just got to go with it? No, I totally did think about it. And nothing came to mind. And I was afraid, of course, if you have a little bit of momentum to change things up. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to own it. and, And here we are. Yeah. I mean, similarly, I have a personal chef business called Perfect Little Bites. And it started with, you know, my wife and I, we would go out to restaurants and we'd each get different dishes and we'd say like, oh, let's trade a perfect little bite. And you'd get like every component on a fork and kind of switch it. And I always like offhandedly said, if I ever have a business, that's what I'll call it. Not thinking that that was really going to happen. And about the same time is when I started blogging as you did about 15 years ago. And I had that before I had my own personal chef business. I mean, I was working in food service, but the the website started as perfectlittlebites.com and it was primarily a food blog. And then I felt like I was kind of like locked into it. I started doing like private chef dinners under that name. And now it's like, I don't know if that would be the best name for my business, but it's been like 15 years of branding under that name. And I feel like I just, I'm locked in at this point, but you know, I love it and I've grown into it. Yeah, no, I, I like the sound of it. And I totally get what you mean is like once that ship sets sails, kind of like, man, the change course is going to be a lot. So let's just kind of go with it. And, you know, I kind of like it now. So do you have a background in photography? Uh, no, you know, it's interesting. I've always, none of this is even remotely near my career. Um, but I've always had an interest in the visual arts. You know, I was the young kid that was, you actually would appreciate this, that would take uh, my Star Wars toys, put them in the sandbox, use my dad's eight millimeter camera and try to make stop motion videos with them. That is amazing. Uh, just, I've always had that love, you know, stringing two VCRs together to haphazardly edit video for school projects, uh, growing up outside of DC when I was a teenager and just kind of naturally progressed where finally I've got a true focus for it and have been able to, you know, uh, just grow with it and learn more and try to push myself every day. So have you ever worked in a restaurant, like even fast food as a kid? I spent uh, three months before going to college working at a, uh, as a grill cook at a ice cream sandwich place called Friendly's here in Southwest Ohio. And that was 
the extent of it. <laughs> Friendly's like the the chain, like yeah, the ice cream chain. Yeah, yeah. I grew up with Friendly's like a mile from my house. Oh yeah. Uh, I think they might have even started in Massachusetts, where I'm from. I, I don't know, but I used to love them, and they had those giant uh, like Reese's pieces Sundays that were enough for like three people. But because I was a little fat kid, I could eat it all myself. <laughs> I may have had a few of those back in the day, or uh, into shift reward, perhaps. So you aren't a chef and you weren't a photographer. So now you're doing photography and you're shooting for Weber. Uh, can you kind of like, how did that happen? You know, it's fate. Um, I, they redesigned the summit gas grill back in 2006 or seven, I think. And I'm like, you know what? I'm ready for a new gas grill. Uh, I've had a Weber since the mid nineties, uh, starting off with a kettle and a performer and the grill came in this huge box and I jumped up on top of it and had a picture taken and posted it on the blog. And their ad agency out of Denver happened to find it and reached out and wanted to know if they could purchase the photo. And I'm like, like you're actually going to pay money for this kind of thing? I was like, wow. Uh, so I said, sure. And they used that. And that sort of started an awareness as far as what I was doing. And they were aware of my blog. And you know, at that time, gosh, it was probably Twitter days, pre-Instagram even. I was on Flickr predominantly, posted a lot of pictures to Flickr and still do. And then uh, about nine or eight or nine years ago, uh, they reached out wanting me to be in a video testimonial commercial. And I said, I said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. So I figured, you know, be one or two people showing up at the house with a camera and do a little one-on-one and talk kind of like we are right now, not realizing this is a legit production with a crew of 25 people taking over the house in a 12 hour day. Uh, and it was all, it was an incredibly exciting and I love the experience. And that went over so well. I then transitioned at Weber to writing for their brand new blog. And then of course, taking photographs posted to social and that segued then further into doing grill styling and grill work for commercial shoots for broadcast or print media. So it's been kind of a, a whirlwind of, uh, of times for me for not you know, actually working for the company, but simply being a freelancer. Uh, and all this, by the way, by being a police sergeant with 25 years in the job, getting ready to hopefully retire here pretty soon. So it's, it's been crazy fun. I love it. That's a nice side hustle. It, tr- it truly is. You know, I've done a lot of local media and stuff for things, and it's never surprised me at work. I'll be out at a scene someplace and somebody will drive by and say something, you know, hey, love those grilled bananas and keep on driving when obviously I'm, you know, I'm managing a crash scene or some other, uh, you know, work incident. Uh, but yeah, it's it fools some people for a while, but now everyone's kind of used to it. Well, that's really early on for doing that. And now it seems like everyone wants to work with brands. But, you know, I don't know. I've never heard of any stories like that where someone reached out to someone after like one photo or something. Now it seems like you have to grind it out and post 20 or 40 photos on Instagram and tag the business. Uh, and they still might not even reach out to you. Is I don't know. Is, is the market oversaturated in that aspect? Like, are there more people who want to make content than there are businesses who need it? I think in some way, yeah. I mean, you see it, and at times I'm even guilty of it myself. You're constantly tagging in someone that makes a certain product or does something, you know, on on the meat side. Um, it's a way of constantly hustling. And granted, my first experience uh, with Weber was pre Facebook, pre social media, as we kind of know it today. So it was a totally different landscape that they hadn't even really embraced yet. Yeah, just yesterday I posted a photo because I got a free unicorn party kit from a company. And I did an Instagram post about it. And in the comments, I was having a conversation with someone and I said, well, I'm a chef and I'd much rather have a relationship with at Vitamix at 
uh, KitchenAid, et cetera. And actually, um, then Vitamix like mentioned me and was like, hey, can you send your media kit over to us? We'd love to talk to you. I was like, yes, that's how it's done, right? You know? There you go. I was like, I guess I should have reached out earlier and not just kind of like subtweeted them in the comments of my Instagram. <laughs> but it still worked. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let me just get this out of the way. Nikon or Canon? <laughs> Canon. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a <laughs> Nikon. you? I'm a Nikon guy, but um, I did I did buy my daughter, uh, who's almost nine, a Canon for Christmas. She wanted a new camera, and they had a really great one, you know, and actually it takes amazing photos. So I bought her like a $300 camera for Christmas, mostly because, you know, I love how, you know, it's small. It's a, you know, a point and shoot, not a DSLR like mine, but it takes better photos than my iPhone does. So she's now our vacation photographer. Uh, but she loves that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love photography and being able to pass that along. My son's not really interested, but she goes and she does tons of photos like every day and does a lot of editing. She actually shot my headshot. So anyone who's seen my like most recent headshot, I I helped her set it up. I mean, I put lights out in my kitchen and everything, but gave her the camera and got her all set up and she shot it. And then I paid her 20 bucks and said, you know, like, uh, here's, here's a start to your photography career. Just make sure she does a long, hard think of what she's going to call it, because when she gets 10 years down the road, she's going to want to change it and be stuck with it like we are. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So why Weber? Like, I mean, I know you said you've had them for a while. Do you have you diversified and use other grills or now because you work with them? It's like an exclusive deal. No, I'm exclusive with Weber. um, Absolutely. um, By choice and by contract, obviously. I have used other grills in the past before, absolutely. And but Weber's one brand I've always, I've had from the beginning and had other ones I tried out and like or didn't like. But Weber, to me, it's the most iconic brand. And the fact that, you know, we talk about it here in the States in terms of Weber, it's a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, it's really amazing when I see in my feed the new sales offices that pop up all over the world. You know, I've got friends in New Zealand and Australia. I mean, and the Weber culture down there is just unbelievable. I call him my one buddy, my Southern Hemisphere doppelganger. He basically does what I do. He loves to shoot photography, brilliant at it, fantastic griller, but he's, you know, right now getting ready to roll into winter and we're getting ready to roll, roll into summer. Yeah, it's great. So you can kind of like go back and forth. Uh, I mean, I'm a griller in the winter, but... Uh, obviously, you know, it's a lot easier and more convenient in warm weather. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. We always say, you know, we're 365 grillers, but it's a lot more fun when it's 70 degrees outside versus seven, but we still do it. Yeah. Pop a beer and stand outside. I don't mind just hanging out in the winter. It's like, I go outside, do what I need to do, flip my meat, go back inside, shut the door and go check on it in 15 minutes. Now I say to my wife, like I'll be in in 45 minutes and just hang outside (laughs) with a drink. That's, That's the only way to do it. Absolutely. So where do you find cooking inspiration? Like when you're creating something new, where are you drawing that from? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, A lot of times things will hit me when I'm out uh, actually eating at restaurants or places, which I know is kind of crazy the last year of the world being shut down. But I'll see something that's not necessarily meant for the grill. And I'll think, okay, well, how can I grill that? Or how can I do something similar to that, but actually incorporate the grill in it? And more often than not, that's where things sort of come from. I think that and also just simply embracing you know, I always call it the bread and butter stuff, the basic stuff, know how to grill a really good steak, you know, know how to smoke a really good rack of ribs. Don't always be the person trying to be out there with the most insane concoction to have a viral video, really perfect what is the most essential things we should be doing. And I think to me, that's probably one of the most rewarding things. Well, that's what all the young people want to do today. And I think even the viral videos reward that, you know, when I was working in kitchens where I had employees, you know, it's like, 
cooks want to come in and do all this stuff, whether it be molecular gastronomy or some crazy thing. But like, if you ask them to cook a steak medium rare, they couldn't hit it. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. what what happened to the very basics of like getting a really nice cooked steak or, or roasting a chicken properly? And I find that oh. a lot of the techniques have gone by the wayside because people just want to create some crazy thing that everyone's talking about. No, I completely agree. I mean, I would rather see a lot of people roast a whole chicken on a Sunday and use that and be really good at it and perfect it versus trying to have the chicken, you know, strike a fancy pose or, or hang off the side of the grill while it's being basted. Um, you know, keep the simple stuff going. And that may that expire you to take those things another level. And then when you do, you've built such a solid foundation. It's going to be incredible, whatever it is. So you've got a new cookbook. I'd love to hear about that <laughs> a little bit. Uh how did that come about? Did you always, well, not always, maybe always, did you always want to write a cookbook or in, in recent years, have you wanted to write a cookbook? You know, uh, it's always been, I've always said the uh, list of things I want to do is much greater than the list of things I don't want to do. And I've always felt that I've had a book somewhere in me, I think, but never really had the right outlet for it. And I've been approached before by other different publishing houses about doing something. Uh, and finally, this uh, this most recent pitch that came in, of course, was about beer and grilling. So I'm like already, you know, three quarters interested. And uh, I was like, you know what? Sure. Why not? Let's do it. Um, it scares the hell out of you. I mean, I'm still nervous about it. I just don't want it to be, you know, a total utter embarrassment, but uh I feel pretty good about it. It's just a simple collection of, you know, recipes that you could quote unquote, you know, have one beer while preparing. Not entirely true all the way through the book. There's a smoked standing rib roast in there and some barbecue recipes, but it's just, you know, I think well photographed recipes that you might be hungry one day, you pull out the book, you decide what beer you're going to drink and you're going to grill this and hopefully enjoy yourself. So did you do all the photography for your book? I did. Yes. That was the one thing I had to done, uh, which should other, which, it wasn't, I think one of the offers I had was an issue. They didn't want that. I'm like, well, there's no no way I'm going to do this then. Yeah, because that's very rare. I mean, most chefs, you know, write their cookbook or have it somewhat ghostwritten by someone and then have to bring in a professional photographer. Uh, so to be able to shoot your own book, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I was just, I, you know, that's, you can relate to that. I love the visual imagery. I look back. In fact, I remember when I got um, Stephen Raikland's Barbecue Bible which came out back in the mid nineties, I think. And what I just, I love that book, but there was no pictures in it. Uh, and obviously, you know, photographs uh, make a book much more expensive to produce. Um, but still, I was like, man, I still inspire what, what's here. Well, now, I mean, I have to have photographs because that's truly, I can read something, but man, to see it, to have it pop off the pages, that inspires me. And I kind of want to put that same inspiration in someone else flipping through the pages or looking at it on a bookshelf. And that's, that. yeah, it speaks to me. I love it. But with so many cookbooks out there, did we need another cookbook? Like, how does this stand apart from other books out there or or does it? Like, did we need another grilling cookbook? Uh, the short answer is probably no. However, you know, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm not under the delusion this is some great literary work of art or some potential award winner. No, uh, but I'm fine with that. I think it's something fun for the average griller to go grab and maybe you know, see something that they've not made before, or perhaps a way to make something different and to be inspired to do that. And of course, it's also filled with all my little anecdotal stories about all the recipes and things. And, you know, I, a lot of the stuff has funny beginnings as far as my first love of food and my parents and how my mom hated to cook and my dad was too busy to cook and how that shaped me today. So it's an amusing, you know, an amusing read through, I think. Um, but yeah, do we need it? Mm, no, but here it is. And now, like we mentioned, it's called One Beer Grilling. 
Yes, one beer grilling. So I know that it's a new project for you, but have you already thought about another one or are you going to wait and see how the reception is on this? Or do you have already have a second book in you? Yeah. Uh, you know, number one, never say never. So um, I think most definitely if the situation was right and I felt inspired, I would, I would definitely do it again. I made it, made it through one, um, but you know, it's wait and see. It was, it was the right moment at the right time. I mean, not even COVID aside, it wasn't like I had a bunch of free time sitting around. I was actually more busy this year than I ever would have imagined, which is a wonderful thing to be. Um, but yeah, we'll just wait, wait and see. And how did you learn how to do photography specifically like food styling? Because that's a thing unto its own. And I think it's pretty hard. Like, are you self-taught completely with all the photography? Yeah, I am. Um, you know, it's nice with the advent of YouTube in the last, you know, eight or nine years to truly, if you can't figure something out to get online and dissect it, whether that's on the still side or the video side, which I also still love to do. Uh, but yeah, it's always been self-taught. I think somewhere in my mind, obviously imagery, I can understand composition and light to some point, but a lot of it's been trial and error. You know, when you post something and I agree, I give Flickr a lot of credit for it. And it's always sad to kind of see its demise because it was a true sharing uh, arena, especially for whatever interest, food, landscape, portraiture. And I learned a lot simply from people there and what they were doing. Um, but it's a lot of trial and error too. And on the styling things, you know, as well, I was lucky at Weber when I first started doing shoots to learn from some stylists and still to this day, and now more of an, a managing role uh, on those shoots with other professional stylists that do it, you know, 24 seven, as far as what they do. And that's a constant, it's, that's hard too. There's a lot of different styles and um, it's, it's a lot to take under. Well, I think that's the hardest part of what I do because I try and, you know, create content for my businesses mm -hmm. and I'll make a really great dish. But then it's like this dish on this surface and the whole, you know, like, do I need to have a napkin folded a certain way? And like, what's the right silverware? And does there need to be some flowers in the background that are like out of focus slightly? Like that is a whole nother thing besides just shooting your dish of food. And I think that's something I have trouble with. And I've read a lot about it, but I still... I'm not where I want to be. And, you know, it's a work in progress for me. Uh, I would agree totally. Um, my favorite things to grill, there's a, I forget where I read it, discussing different types of food photographers. And one of the descriptions was the National Geographic food photographer. And I was like, that's me. You know, like the NG photographer trying to capture the, the lion on the Serengeti and crawling through the weeds. You know, that's me grabbing the camera, grabbing the tripod and hitting the grill when, you know, the steak goes down and the fat hits the coals and you get all that sizzle up and flame. That's what I love to capture. It's great to capture plated food too, but it's not as alive as something on the grill. And I just love those living shots where things are happening and food's cooking and you're there to capture it. Is all your food that you photograph ready to eat or do you have to do any weird like photo tricks to make it better for the camera? Uh, it is all real. And that's probably the cool thing too. And also I credit Weber from the very beginning is that when we would do shoots, uh, I remember we were out in LA doing a shoot for maybe, I forget what even grill it was. And the, the very, the, the hero shot was this beautiful table laid out with an overhead shot of the camera coming up and the food coming out. And I remember we grilled a, um, a couple of huge, big beef tenderloins in a church parking lot, 15 minutes away and all the other sides, but this cook spot on brought it over. And of course the, the talent is always concerned, like, you know, can we really eat this? And we're like, yeah, it's everything's edible to enjoy it. And after the shots uh, were finally all in the can, uh, everything wrapped and the shoot was over, they're all still sitting around the table eating. 
and having fun. And that to me was one of the most amazing moments to realize all that hard work. That's how real it is that they can truly enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of books on food styling where you're not using like real food to make it, but that's not what I want to do. But I do realize there are some challenges and you have to work so fast. I mean, grilling is maybe a little easier than like a plated composed dish. Like I'm always thinking about like mm. once I put X on the plate, I've got like 30 seconds to nail this shot. And that's so tough. Like I was in the King's Hawaiian roll sandwich competition, photo competition mm. they had this summer. Uh, and they sent me a case of like 90 rolls, which was amazing. But I kept making all these sandwiches. And you're like, once I put, you know, like the queso on there, like you've got literally like 15 seconds to like nail this shot. And, and just like, that's so stressful for me. Like try to figure out how to just get everything on the plate and take a shot in under a minute before it goes all over the plate. and just looks like a hot mess. That, that is so true. And, you know, back in the day for me, that dinner I was shooting, that was dinner. So, I mean, you got to feed the blog first, as they said. And today, thankfully, it's not that way. I'm able to shoot and do it. But yeah, the time that stuff just right so it looks good, it still glistens, it's not dying on, on the plate, so to speak. That's It, it can be a challenge. Well, and I think the photos and the content are two separate things, because what I've noticed is like I used to, I mean, I, I don't blog as much as I used to. But I didn't always have great photos. It was the idea. It was the recipe. And that's what brought people. And then I think you can kind of overthink it and spend more time saying like, oh, I don't want to publish this because the photo isn't the best. But when I look back at some of the best opportunities I've had, it wasn't because of an amazing photo, not to discredit photography, but like I made some crazy cocktail and posted on my blog and it got seen by someone at Garden and Gun magazine and then they wanted to run it in their magazine. And it wasn't this like stylized shoot. It was like me and my best friend hanging out in the backyard making a cocktail and, you know, it it found its way into a magazine. And sometimes when I do these shoots that take me like a long time, it doesn't do anything, you know? So I think sometimes you can really get in your head too much and overthink it when you're creating content. Isn't that crazy how the thing that you least expect to be successful ends up being successful? Yeah. I think my worst photo ever taken on a crappy phone was one of my most popular things that, again, added ended up in a publication. I did these ice cubes out of pot liquor. Do you know what pot liquor is? No, it's I like when you like when you cook a pot of greens, like collard greens with like um, everything in them, the leftover liquid in there. So you've got like this stock and it tastes mm. like bacon and onions and vinegar and everything. I took it and I froze it. And I made ice cubes and uh, I wanted to make a martini and I just stirred the martini on the ice cubes. Mm. And it was just this like off the cuff thing that I did after work at like midnight. And I just like posted on Twitter. But uh, John T. Edge, who was at the time writing for Oxford American Magazine, is like, that's amazing. And I'm doing a write up right now on uh, pot liquor, can I include you in the article? And it was like literally just this crappy photo of like these ice cubes, like yellowed photo from, you know, the lights in my kitchen at midnight. <laughs> uh, but it was the idea. And I, I think I want to get back to doing more like blogging and just like off the cuff, like not worrying about SEO, not worrying about like the perfect photoshopped photo shoot and just getting it out there. Well, it's interesting because in light of current affairs with uh, technology and everything, I've been reading some things people are kind of going back to their blog because they're in control of it. They can choose what they want to post about and do. And I think there there may be a resurgence of that sort of thing. Do you have any favorite resources? I usually ask culinary resources, but it could be culinary. It could be photographic. Like, what do you go to? Are there websites? Are there YouTube channels? Are there, you know, cookbooks that you love? There are, I'm trying to think, let's see, on more often than not, I'm going to YouTube for content. 
And uh, there's the guy, I'm going to butcher names here. Scott Chichuro out of London is a London-based food photographer. His channel is excellent. Just, you know, it, very um, relatable and forthright. And I find his stuff quite enjoyable. Um, on video side, I go to Gerald Undone's channel quite a bit. He does mostly video work, but a lot of technical expertise. A lot of it, even that goes over my head at times. I'm like, wow. And um, uh, just just had a book came out. Her name's escaped me. Joni um, Bite Shot. She's got a wonderful channel. I've watched Growth of the Years too. Uh, and just put a book out on food photography. Those are probably the big ones that I mostly go to. Outside of that, I'll Google something specific that I'm looking for. Uh, and I think from a technical aspect, uh, just simply finding what the latest books are. And I've got a handful of books on photography and, and food styling, which like you said too, I can read stuff, but unless I'm actually doing it or applying what I'm reading, it may not always connect the way I want it to. Uh, but we're blessed to live in such an age where all that information is literally on your phone. So if you've got a question on how to do something, I guarantee someone else has before too, just Google it and you'll probably find your answer. I'm so appreciative of the people who make YouTube videos on every single thing. Like we had a seatbelt in our minivan that we could not figure out how to disconnect. And I literally just Googled like Toyota Sienna third row seatbelt removal. And of course there was a video. So these people who make these videos on everything from photography to SEO to, you know, whatever, cooking a ribeye. I, I love it. YouTube is just amazing. Oh, I just uh, learned how to automatically defrost my ice maker last week, thanks to a YouTube video. And it was no high production value. It was a guy on the phone saying, this is how you do it. Hold these buttons down until it beeps. I'm like, problem solved. Is there anyone you'd really like to shadow? Like if you could work with someone for the day, whether it be just learning how to cook or following a photographer, is there anyone you're really impressed with and would love to hang out with and learn from? I, I think definitely Scott in London. I mean, um, he, it's funny, his stuff is a lot of it's all studio work, but he uses a lot of harder lights, it seems, but the way he captures stuff, especially a bunch of drink stuff lately, it's, I find it so interesting. And I think he comes at it too, from it's not always having the best kit to capture something as we can relate to. It's just, it's, I think how you compose it and how you capture it and light it and set it up. Um, I think it would be quite interesting to see someone of that caliber's workflow and how they approach projects and, and do things like that. Absolutely. Are you looking to continue doing this with other brands or are you going to be the Weber guy for a while? Have you reached out to anyone or thought about then shooting some other kind of food type stuff? No, I mean, I'm uh, dedicated to Weber true and true. You know, I could potentially retire this year. So what my future will look like, I'm not really quite sure yet. I know it's going to involve, you know, photography and grilling, uh, but I just kind of take it a day at a time. And uh, I love creating uh, content. I love seeing it, you know, literally, any place in the world uh, representing Weber. Uh, and I feel I've got a lot more to grow and to learn and to do, but uh, until then I'm quite content where I am right now. What about like, I don't know. I don't want to say is photography dead, but I hate that a site like Instagram seems to be pushing video. Like everyone's pushing video. I personally don't love shooting video myself, but now, you know, you see Instagram trying to stay on top of TikTok and now they're pushing reels or, and, and before that it was IGTV. And it seems like if you post a photo, it doesn't get as much traction as if you make this video, but I'm not comfortable with it. I don't love video and I hate to see it going away. Do you have any thoughts on that? Have you looked into, you know, the algorithms and how they work and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that they're they're favoring video creation, whether it be through Reels or through IGTV, you know, taking on TikTok or YouTube. 
I've always enjoyed video. And in fact, I've just created a series of reels for Weber over the last, I don't know, eight or nine months, uh, which, you know, short form 30 second things that are sort of poppy and, and, and creative. Um, I, on a personal level, have been wanting to do more longer form like YouTube videos. Uh, and it's, I, I enjoy them. I enjoy that aspect of it, but it takes a lot more work. And just as I get something done, if I want to come back and make another one, I've got projects lined up, which is a good problem to have that I can't really get back to it. So I think you're right. I think at some point to photography, much like it left Flickr uh, back in the day, and there's another one I can't remember, it'll probably find a new home somewhere else that will be still and organic. Uh, and then that cycle will repeat itself. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, everyone always did still photography. And then I remember like in the late 80s, early 90s, like my dad got a video camera and we took that everywhere. And all we did was shoot, you know, video on the VHS. And then that kind of died off and everyone went back to photos. And then with the advent of like the digital video cameras, everyone got those. And then we kind of went back to photos and just kind of watching it ebb and flow. I don't, I don't know what the next big thing is. For me, it's just hard because I think editing still photos is so much easier than editing video. Oh, yeah, completely. Well, it's scary too to realize how much, you know, video editing capabilities a phone has got. I use an app called InShot on my phone for doing a lot of this real work. And it is a seriously heavy duty editor. I mean, I'm impressed with what it can do, which I think is why in a way you see so much of it because they put those, what used to be probably high-end tools in such a small form factor. But yeah, when it comes to editing video versus stills, I mean, stills is, especially if you're talking about stills that are in the same sort of, you know, scene or setup, and you're simply going to apply some mass uh, corrections to everything and then go back through and tweak till you see what you like. Yeah, definitely easier. I also use InShot. Good to know that you use it. For me, the, the big thing is that my kids have been home for 16 months. Like I can shoot a photo of a dish while they're in the background making a ton of noise. But it seems like every time I break out all the lights and the gear and I'm going to try and shoot a video, you just hear dad, dad, or some other nonsense. It's like, I'm not even going to go back to trying to do videos until they go back to school because it just has not been working out for me. Uh, no, I feel your pain. I've got neighbors, the new dog that likes to bark when I'm outside getting ready to shoot video or the trash truck or lawnmowers. It's, it's a cavalcade of sound pollution when I want to shoot video. And if I don't, it's dead quiet. Well, I'm sure it's kind of like picking a favorite child, but do you have a favorite thing to grill or a couple favorite things to grill? Uh, you know, I always say now my favorite thing to grill is a bone-in ribeye. Whenever I've got a new grill, uh, that's the first maiden cook that I always, always put on it. And it's one of those things where, I mean, nine out of 10 times, I'm super happy with it, but I always feel there's, you know, to get it exactly perfect, exactly right is something I'm always chasing to do. Uh, so that's probably my, my one simple favorite thing to always grill that note, whole chicken. As I mentioned before, I love to grill whole chicken. So how do you do your chicken? I nine out of 10 times, I'm simply going to cut off the wing tips, truss it, and then I'm going to uh, grill it indirect. And then I will usually drop in one small wood chunk, like apple or cherry, uh, for a little bit of smoky flavor, but more because it really gets the color uh, taken up a notch. You get that nice sort of mahogany when it's done. It's not smoked per se. It's more or less sort of adding a little bit of flair to the final product. I don't know that I've ever grilled a whole chicken before. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'll make it either for chicken, but more often than not, uh, I'll use it for chicken salad or chicken through the week for stuffing in quesadillas or tacos for something last minute. Um, but oh yeah. Yeah. I love to do a grilled chicken. Well, and you're also a beer guy, aren't you? Mm, I am. I guess you're another pipe, please. So <laughs> if I was inviting you over for dinner, what would you bring? Like if you didn't know what I was cooking and I just said, you know, bring some beer, bring a six pack, like what's something you'd bring? 
I would, I'd have to bring an IPA because these days, of course, they are so prevalent, which is amazing. But I would probably bring you uh, as lately something hazy, maybe an imperial hazy. But then on the other end of the spectrum, I would probably bring a porter uh, or maybe uh, a brown ale, but something uh, not obviously nowhere near as hoppy, but just as flavorful. Do you have a favorite brown ale? Because I, I find like in general, not a lot of people necessarily drink them. Like I don't think I have any friends who drink brown ales. What's one of your favorites? Lately, I had a really good brown ale from a local brewery here uh, in the uh, Cincinnati Dayton area from Sonder. Uh, it's called Coconut Tears. Uh, and it was a brown ale with coconut. And that was quite good. Yeah, I love I love all styles of beers. My wife doesn't do IPA, so we don't have as many of them around. But every one of my friends loves an IPA. And she drinks the hazy IPAs. So that's kind of like our meeting in the middle point, I guess. It's funny. I have my last Hop Slam from Bell's. It comes out seasonally. And this last week has kind of shed a tear and it's beers like that, that, you know, uh, oh gosh, probably eight or nine years ago, not knowing it's a 10% Imperial uh, uh, IPA. And you have three of them and realize hmm, the room's kind of moving here. What's going on. And now of course, ABVs are readily published. You know what you're getting into, you know, the potency of things, but it's, they've been an amazing ride. Um, I almost feel like I need to kind of go back and embrace loggers more because I basically pass them up all the time. And then I have one, I'm like, ah, that's actually really quite good. Um, you do too sucked into, I think the things that you know, you like, but try things you think you might not like, and you realize you probably do. And now I find that I'm totally overwhelmed when I go to the the store, like I just walk in and there's like 4,000 different beers. It's like, do I pick something I've never had? Do I pick something I know I like? And I just stand in the aisle and, and the artwork too is now a thing. And you're just looking at all these like gigantic cans with amazing artwork and weird names. And my head starts spinning. Like, I don't even know what to get, you know? You have hit the absolute nail on the head. I have talked about that for some time lately. You know, it's interesting because uh, I, me and my friends formed our own uh, brewing home brew group, which is again, probably about a decade ago. Uh, we called ourselves the Backyard Brewing Society. We get together maybe once a month and at least three, four, five, or six of us at a time would brew beer because there was no breweries in the Dayton area. So we wanted a good beer. We have to go to a specific bottle shop to find anything. You weren't going to get it at the grocery store, the local supermarket. So we brewed and then lo and behold, we start getting breweries in and because of work, we could never actually start our own brewery or, or work in a, a bottle shop or anything. And now I think we've got either 17 or 18 local breweries in, in the greater Dayton area. And none of them have gone under at all since the first one came online. And we don't brew anymore because there's no reason to, because we can go and get great beer two minutes down the road. Um, we miss hanging out and drinking and grilling and doing all that, but the proliferation of great beer, it used to be you would go and look for what the marketing was from the, the, the big guys, so to speak. And now that's flipped. Now there's so many choices for craft beer. Like you said, you're certainly looking at packaging and artwork, not knowing, ah, this is a great IPA from founders, or this is a great lager from stone. It's like, oh, that's a cool label. I'm going to buy that one. Crazy. I'm in Frederick, Maryland, and we have, I'm just going to roughly throw out there like 12 breweries or something here in town. And we're not that big. Flying Dog is the biggest thing we have here. Mm. But um, I've got literally two breweries on the block at the end of my street that I could walk to in five minutes. And like for a 10 minute walk, I can hit two more. And, you know, we lit we have four of them all in one neighborhood. We have a creek that goes through the middle of the city and two breweries share the same building with a wall between them. And then there's a footbridge going across the creek and on the other side, another two breweries. 
you look at what happened in England and the United Kingdom, where local pubs eventually were bought out uh, by the larger conglomerates and they went away, and now you have the larger conglomerates, I think you're sort of seeing that rebirth of pub culture here, especially in light of COVID. And that's what you're seeing more and more, I think, embracing your local, so to speak. And I think it's a wonderful shift. And I think it really, it bodes well for the beer industry as a whole and just simply a, a better place to go and enjoy fresh local beer and food. And I think it's one of those fun things, whether you're having visitors uh, into town and you want to go out or having people over. I mean, I would much rather say, here's a six pack of something from the brewery here that you're not going to be able to get at home. And whether, you know, I just take them out to the brewery or I go and pick up a growler, or, you know, most places are even canning their own stuff now. It's ridiculous that they're all, you know, locally having their beer made, putting it in the cans and then it's on the shelves in the store. I'd rather say, hey, here's from something from, we have a place called Old Mother or something from Rockwell and, mm. and share that with friends rather than saying like, here's a Sam Adams. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Sam Adams was the first craft beer I ever had, but you know, yeah. I'd rather share something kind of unique with my friends. Well, it's funny, two points. Number one, I remember being in college and uh, drank Bud Light religiously. And my dad on a weekend bought a six pack of Sam Adams and my friends were over as I discovered this in the refrigerator and went off I'm like, what, why'd you buy this stuff, this vile stuff? And where's my Bud Light? And dad's like, it says the best beer in America that's on there. And of course, these days you would not catch me near a Bud Light. But talk about home brewing. I was uh, lucky uh, because of COVID to travel for Weber. God, four I went to New York City twice and Chicago twice uh, for photo shoots because they had a, they couldn't travel. And when I was in New York, some friends of mine on Instagram had reached out and they are all urologists and they were home brewers and they lived up on the Upper West Side and they had a brew day and I had an off day and invited me up. And sure enough, I mean, they're brewing in this small but large for where they were apartment. And I figure how much space we used to take up outside brewing and they're all on electric stove, but they're totally into it and maximizing all that space and we're making great beer. So it just, it's just crazy how everyone adapts to do what they do. And it was just a, a cool chance to see them in action. Oh yeah. When I was in college, so I didn't drink beer growing up as a teenager. I mean, I know that's not legal anyway, but my dad drank, old Mil <laughs> old, my dad drank old Milwaukee in the can. And I guess, you know, I probably tried at one point. I was like, this is disgusting, but I grew up in Massachusetts. So when I was in college, the first nice beer I had with Sam Adams and it made my mind explode. I was like, this is not beer, right? But I remember one of my only friends who had a house off campus, he set up a homebrewing setup in like his little storage unit in the basement of his apartment. So, you know, like down in the basement, everyone had like this one little cubby and he had like his homebrew set up, you know, I don't even know if he was 21 at the time, but, um, you know, <laughs> it was really neat to see, neat to see his setup of like this homebrewing gear, like downstairs in his little storage, you know, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Well, I've always said with the guys, I go, you know, if monks can make beer in caves, we can do it in the backyard. It's, it's possible. I got one buddy still that, you know, he lives by an Excel spreadsheet and makes incredible beer, but nothing fancy, you know, just, but he just cranks it out. So it's, it's, it's totally doable. Now, as far as grilling goes, what's some low-hanging fruit to be a better grill master? Or do you have any tips for people who are, you know, amateur grillers and maybe just kind of want to take it to the next level? You know, to me, I always talk about this, even my dad, uh, you need two tools. You need a timer and a thermometer. Uh, just last week, I had a coworker ask me about grilling chicken breasts. They always come out tough. I go, are you using a thermometer? And she's like, no. I go, okay, the timer is going to keep you in the ballpark. And then the thermometer is going to make sure you're right on target and you'll have success every single time. Uh, and then she came back and said, yeah, it, it worked. I mean, it sounds silly and I get all the, you know, I can feel the meat and everything else and touch it, but you know, 
the average backyard cook and home cook is probably doing six things at once besides dinner. And I know my, you know, ADD kicks in and I have something else that distracts me like a squirrel in the backyard. If I don't have a timer running, I'm going to screw up dinner. So, you know, I use the, the trio stick from um, Thermopen and it's got three timers on it and it works great. I can do it for multiple things. And that will probably give you the more success than learning some crazy protein or buying some, you know, fandangled spatula. Use a timer. Uh, I totally agree. I mean, I would always tell my cooks, like even with steaks, probe them, you know, like this whole, like, I'm going to stick my thumb on this ribeye and know when it's medium rare. It's like, dude, like if you just take the temp on that, you're going to know, like if you are not a master at this, there's no shame in sticking a probe in and just kind of seeing where we're at. Oh, completely. Completely. I, yeah, I've not, I always, always, always do it. Cause there's sometimes just you, you, the fire management might be off. Something's not where you think it should be. And it's not ready. Yeah. It's funny. I grilled a uh, 16 pound standing rib roast yesterday or Saturday night uh, for a part of a, a breast cancer awareness fundraiser. And that kind of cut is not as daunting to me because it's so big. It's like, you know, pushing a barge down the Ohio river, you kind of know where you're going to go, but still, once you get into that zone, just to probe it and make sure you're exactly where you want to be. And thankfully everything turned out great, but you've got to be careful with that. Yeah, for real. That's an expensive piece of meat. If you oh, yes. don't cook it properly. Yes, I did not want to have that uh, go down in flames, so to speak. So thankfully it all turned out and the night was success and it was different entertaining for strangers in my home. So I have much respect for what you do. Um, That's totally out of my comfort zone, but thankfully everything turned out, but uh, definitely a lot of work. Do you have anything exciting coming up? Any new things cooking? Uh, you know, it's, I'm doing some, uh, grill guides for a, uh, fairly well-known website, which I guess I really probably can't say till it's out, um, not attached to Weber, uh, or anything else, which I was flattered that they reached out for me to talk about. So I've got that in the works, just kind of seeing where the book goes. We're going to take over a, um, a Dayton brewery that's downtown for the book launch the Friday before Memorial day. They're going to feature a few things in the cookbook on the menu and we're going to have like kind of a meet and greet uh, for that night as part of celebrating the book launch. And of course, uh, the heritage of beer here in the Dayton area. Uh, but for me, I tell you what is week by week, I'm just kind of holding on at work uh, with my fingertips and then just trying to keep up with everything else. I'm just, you know, we all, you know, I say, chase your dreams, chase your side hustles. You never know where they're going to take you. And when I was pegging out, you know, poorly written, grammatically prone blogger posts, 15 years ago, I would never imagine one, I'd be sitting here talking with you today or two, have the ability to see my work in actual print that my parents were not embarrassed to read. Yeah, that's really exciting, isn't it? And kind of weird. Oh, it's definitely an out-of-body experience. Um, I was lucky and wrote some articles for Sports Illustrated three or four years ago about tailgating and some grilling stuff and everything. And uh, just, you know, having friends in airports, pick it up and see it. Number one, knowing I have zero sporting abilities. The fact that I actually had a byline in a sports magazine is kind of ridiculous. Um, but yeah, that's a wonderful feeling. And I know with the book, it's sort of happening as well. And like I said, it's a fun read and visually enjoyable. And if someone gets something out of it, that's great. That means uh, I succeeded. Was there anything else we didn't go over or that you want to get into before we get out of here today? And I think we covered the bases. Um, no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed hearing about your take on things too. It's always fun to talk to a fellow creative and how they approach things uh, and you know the strengths and the weaknesses and the hurdles that they go through. And it's, yeah, I, I totally feel so many things that you're saying. Yeah. It's interesting being a quote unquote creative these days, you know, like I always thought I was just going to go work somewhere and cook and that was going to be it. And now looking at like, there's really cool stuff, you know, but I never thought that I'd be blogging or podcast podcasting. I mean, I've only been doing this for like a year and a half now. Like I never thought I was going to have a podcast. So this is totally weird for me. 
Well, and it's funny knowing your culinary background, I've often thought to myself, uh, you know, two schools of thought. Number one, do I want to go to culinary school? Not because I want to open up a restaurant, but because maybe I just want to understand more of the culinary processes and kind of go through that. So that's kind of hanging in the wind still to wonder uh, if I get some more time here down the road uh, and do something like that. Well, just like YouTube, there's so many great resources out there. I mean, I... I could talk for hours on this and we've talked on many of the podcast episodes about like, do you go to culinary school or don't you? And I think it depends on what you want to do, but there's so many great websites, cookbooks, videos that like for the most part, you can probably get through so much of it on your own. If you're the dedicated kind of person who can just, you know, read something and absorb it and then just, you know, try and put it into action and change course as it goes. Yeah, no, for sure. And I totally get that. Hey, we are, we are blessed with such abundance of information. It's, it's truly phenomenal. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've truly enjoyed talking to you. So thanks again for opening up uh, your podcast doors and having me on. And to all of our podcast listeners, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com.org and on all social media platforms. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.